Hello and welcome to the Transforming Society podcast from Bristol University Press. My name's George Miller, and I'm the editor of a new paperback series that BUP is launching this spring. Over the next few years, What Is It For? will explore the purpose of a range of institutions, beliefs, ideologies, and other phenomena that make up the contemporary world, from veganism to AI, nuclear weapons to the monarchy. Inherent in the series' concept is the idea that the answer to the question will most probably be complex and up for debate, but that it's worth asking in order to think about how the future could be better. The series launches with three titles, War, Cybersecurity and Philanthropy, and it's philanthropy that we're thinking about in this first episode. Rodri Davis, the author of What is Philanthropy For?, is the founding director of the think tank Philanthropy Matters, and a Pairs Research Fellow at the Centre for Philanthropy at the University of Kent. When we spoke, I began by admitting I was curious to know whether, when the series description arrived in his inbox, this book seemed like something he definitely wanted to write, or did he have to ponder whether the question was worth asking in this way? No, I, I was pretty clear instantaneously that it's something... I wanted to do because I, I think it's just one of those sort of happy uh, coincidences that the idea of trying to take the topic of philanthropy and make a case for why it's actually interesting to a general audience and why they might care about it more than they think they do is something that I've been trying to do for a long time in all of my work and actually having a, a more sort of clearly defined challenge about doing that in a set number of, of words was really, really appealing to me. Yeah, because as you suggest, I guess everybody feels they know exactly what charity is. Philanthropy is a little bit more nebulous, or perhaps we all have a slightly different idea of of what it actually involves. I think I think that's right. I think you know, my assumption is where people have even heard about philanthropy, they probably are thinking in this country about some of the great figures of of the Victorian era and probably big municipal buildings that they know in the towns and cities around them. Or they might be thinking about big American figures like Carnegie or Rockefeller and the foundations that they set up. But to me, that's a very narrow conception of philanthropy. And there's there's so much more to it than that. And it actually touches on all kinds of areas of our lives and all kinds of fascinating other topics. And that that's the thing that I'm always really keen to try and get people to realise. Yes. So you, so you had a sense that it was a question that was worth asking and also that it was a time worth asking it because it is in the news, however nebulous our ideas of it may be. It is in the news a fair bit for a variety of reasons. Not all of them good, it has to be said. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that I was doing did in the book is is take a historical perspective. So I, I'm particularly aware that it's not a new thing, actually, to to want to question the role of philanthropy or to be critical of it. But I do think we're at a particular moment in time where some of the questions about what philanthropy is, what role it plays in society, how it relates to democracy and, and inequality and all these sorts of issues have moved more into the mainstream than they have certainly in my lifetime. So I think it, you know, a lot of these questions that maybe at, at other times have seemed a little bit esoteric or niche 
actually are things people are thinking about at the moment. So if I put you on the spot and ask you what your working definition of philanthropy is, you know, if you if you meet someone at a at an event or, you know, at a parents' evening and someone <laughs> asks what you what field you work in, how do you sort of how do you sort of get across what philanthropy means to you? I know that's a that's a that's a tough question. <laughs> and you could No, I think it's an absolutely fair question. I mean, usually I garble something out for a few minutes and and tie myself up in knots i mean i think when i'm writing anything i I generally retreat to the safe ground of something like saying it's about people using their private assets for public good so kind of whether that's their money or their time or their networks but giving them a way to to help society at large Uh, and then acknowledging that you know what that often means in practice is that we're talking about uh, people with larger amounts of money and kind of charitable foundations, although that's not the whole picture, because again, there's a complicated question about where philanthropy starts and stops, and whether it's something that's only about rich people or not. And I, I tend to err towards the latter. And also, it's something which is evolving, isn't it? Which I guess is part of the interest in it. And also one of the things that you want to bring out in the book, if we just have the the idea of the sort of 19th century model, the Carnegie's and so on, well, I guess you can see modern day equivalents, but also the field is changing. It's more diverse uh, than that. Yeah, it's absolutely more diverse. And I think sometimes that early 20th century model of philanthropy from the US casts a a sort of unhelpfully long shadow over the rest of philanthropy and has been been very dominant. And when you look at the history, there are, there are all sorts of fascinating examples of other ways of doing things, but they often have been a bit lost or obscured. And actually, as we look at the present day and think about all the different ways that, that philanthropy could go in the future, there are lots of clues to be found in the past, but you have to put a bit of legwork in to, to find them. Yes, I find the history that you describe in the book really fascinating. But I guess if I wanted to press you on that aspect, I would say, well, it's really interesting to see that the past had similar dilemmas, um, similar challenges to today. But is it more than interesting? Can it, you know, does it teach us lessons? Does it show us alternative ways of thinking? How, what, how do you actually see the the role of history both in the book and more widely in in its sort of um, its applications today. No, I mean absolutely, and I'm constantly find myself sort of having to to make this this case to to politely bemused audiences. But I, I mean, I think it's a few things. I think there's there's obviously history as inspiration. So the stories of what people have done in the past often are inspiring and can inspire us in the present. I think it also provides cautionary examples of things we might we might want to not do and to to avoid. But I think even more than that, to me, what's important is it gives a a reassuring sense of continuity with the past. And particularly, I think, as we are grappling with a lot of questions about the role of, of philanthropy and some quite challenging questions about it, to me, actually knowing that we're not the first people to have done that is really reassuring and actually gives a sense that we're we're not failing somehow by struggling to find clear answers to them. They're actually quite intractable, entrenched problems uh, about the very nature of philanthropy that lots of very clever people in the past have grappled with as well. But I guess more positively as well, just as we were saying before, the past does offer up some tantalising clues about how the present could have been different than it is because you start to realise that it's all quite contingent and it's very heavily dependent on choices and mistakes often that were made in the past. So when you think about what the future could look like, 
it broadens your horizons a bit in a way that I find really exciting. So in philanthropy, you've got a big, complex, to some degree amorphous and evolving phenomenon. And the challenge you were set was to write about what it's for in around 35,000 words. So I'm really interested. How did you begin to make that manageable as a writer? And what were you sort of taking into account as far as what the reader would need to get out of the book? How did, how did you actually make it manageable? Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing with any book and the, the, the difficult part and the fun part of the challenge is it's, it's often less in a way about the content because you've, you've quite often as a writer, you've got lots and lots of content that you'd like to get into a book. It's really more about thinking about a structure that allows all of that to hang together, particularly, as you say, when you've got 35,000 words in which to do it. Uh, and, you know, what I decided to do in this instance was to try and break that question of what philanthropy is for down to a prior question, one we've been discussing, you know, what even is philanthropy, and slightly to admit defeat and say, well, I'm not sure I can come up with a clear definition. But what you can do, and, and then how I decided to structure the book, is is to say there are quite a few other things that philanthropy has clearly been contrasted with many, many times in the past. And this allows you, in a way, to sort of map out its boundaries by saying what it isn't. So, so I thought about how philanthropy relates to charity how it relates to justice, how it relates to the state, how it relates to to business and the market. And actually by exploring what people have said about these things in the past and where there are similarities and where there are differences, it doesn't necessarily give you a clear answer of this is what philanthropy is and what it's for. But I think it, it really brings to light the key questions and the sort of dilemmas and tensions that you need to be thinking of as you answer that question, what is philanthropy for, hopefully for yourself. What I liked about that approach, which I found really illuminating, is you didn't try to draw a hard border around philanthropy and then look at it, you know, like on the dissecting mm. table in isolation. You actually present it as kind of like part of much bigger networks. And sometimes I guess you can see it working in complement, for example, to charity and to some extent to democracy, but there's also a tension there. And then there are other phenomena. You, you look at the sub-theme of taxation where, you know, you could see it as a sort of antithetical relationship because if billionaires were paying more tax, then maybe there wouldn't be a need to, to have philanthropy to the same extent. So it seemed to me a really good way to sort of get this whole sort of network of relationships across to the reader. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, in, in some of those cases, you know, I present them as as choices. And, you know, so the taxation one's an interesting one, because in one sense, philanthropy does exist in opposition to tax. And there are plenty of people, as you say, who think actually, it only exists because we aren't getting people to pay enough tax. And if we did, actually, philanthropy would be unnecessary. But then, you know, I also think there's a clear argument that even if we had, you know, far higher levels of tax, the role that the state plays in in taxation and redistribution doesn't necessarily overlap entirely with what philanthropy is there to do. So there would still be a need for philanthropy and indeed a drive for people to want to reach out and help others. So I think actually once you kind of unpick some of those questions, you start to realise that they're not necessarily clear and easy binaries uh, in the way that they're sometimes presented. Let me ask you a final question in this episode, Rodri. Sometimes as a result of writing a book and having to really boil down your thoughts and ideas as you've had to on philanthropy, a writer's attitude shifts a little bit or is more nuanced in particular ways. Did you find any sort of change in your 
you kind of from your starting assumptions to to finishing your book that you, any, any of your attitudes on things large or small had had shifted uh i don't know if they shifted only in the i mean i i spend all of my time thinking about basically the kind of core <laughs> question of what philanthropy is and, and what it's for in in most of my work i think what it did do in a way is force me to come down slightly more on on one side or another from a personal point of view on some of the questions about about what we would ideally like philanthropy to be because i think in the in the past i'm i've been if anything sort of almost even handed to a fault because i'm quite keen to sort of make it clear that that there aren't necessarily right or wrong answers and i still think that's the case but i think it forced me to clarify in my own mind where i sit on on the spectrum sometimes in terms of these questions about you know what form philanthropy should take and what role we want it to play so that was really useful so i think if if somebody asked me now what's your ideal version of philanthropy i think i'd be in a better position to to answer that question yeah and and read the book and you'll find out yeah absolutely <laughs> i was speaking to rodri davis whose book what is philanthropy for is published this march there are more details about it and the other titles in the series on the Bristol University Press website at bristoluniversitypress.co.uk. That's it from me for now, so thanks for listening and goodbye.